in our text today, Moses gives new meaning to the idea of active retirement. I mean, at age 80, when God called him to lead the people of Israel, is when most of us were long since, my time is past. We want to kind of go out there and just relax till we don't have any more time. But that's not true with Moses. You may ask, exactly when did God really put his hand on the life of Moses? If you study back in the stories in the scripture, you'll find maybe, just maybe it was at his birth. Because soon after that, there was word that uh, the uh, people of Egypt were killing the male children because there were too many Israelites in the nation. And through uh, the leadership of his mother... Uh, They put him in the bulrushes in the Nile. He was rescued by the sister of Pharaoh, and his own mother was able to raise him. God certainly must have had his hand on Moses' life, even as he floated on the river Nile. Long before he knew it, maybe long before others understood what his life would become, and all that difference he would experience would help him later on. Skip forward, of course, to the event that marks the greatest change in his life when he is out tending the sheep of his uh, uh, father-in-law in the land of Midian. And Jethro has been uh, taking care of him. His children are all there. He is now 80 years old, still keeping the sheep. That's retirement, is it? He goes out, and there he experiences the burning bush, that moment when God's very presence came to him and he would take the direction of that of the person who would deliver the people of Israel. We can, at this moment in our text, Moses stands at the end of that long journey, 40 years later. Been a long 40 years, you suppose. Lots to tell in the story. That's the subject of lots of sermons and Bible studies and I really invite you to reread that if you haven't in a while. But you know, he went through a lot in leading them. Now at age 120, standing there, still with clear eyesight and lots of energy. Can you imagine that at age 120? You're going, how in the world could that be true? Of course, God was with him. And God does not allow him to enter into the promised land. He lets him instead see it. Down the top of Mount Pisgah, and uh, see as a tourist you can't visually see that far yourself but I am sure that God and his ability let Moses see all the land not just in its present form but I believe he saw it in the form God desired as his people settled there and they would take that land they would divide it among them as tribes and they would live peacefully that's what I believe that Moses could see and with that, there was great contentment that when he died. After all, you, you may think now, why didn't God let Moses go on into the promised land? Just retire there, you know. Get him 40 acres and a mule or whatever it would take to settle it. I don't know. Get him a, a vineyard and enough place where he could settle in. Surely the people would let him retire. And I think, no, no, they probably wouldn't. They would stay on him. He would still have to be the leader. That really wasn't going to be a retirement for him. Of course, if you study in Numbers chapter 20, you understand an experience where, for that reason, God did not let him actually enter the land. 
And you and I might want to argue that case that God was too harsh. But Moses didn't argue. Instead, he is a man of God who was called by him and always reminds us that we have a sense of God's hand on our lives. It may be in a, a big event. It may be along the way. This past few weeks as mission teams have gone out from our congregation, I, I really hope that each member on both teams felt that God certainly was there with them, sending them and going with them. That to me is a picture of Moses. God did not just send you, but he goes with you. And all the events that take place, you sense his guiding hand as well. We only went for about seven days for each group, but you know, Moses was a little bit longer, 40 years, and a lot more entailed. But he was looking out on the land that God had promised to Abraham. It says in Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And now Moses looks out over the land. Geography. You and I think about promised land or God's promise being a kingdom and not just limited to a certain space, but for now. In this promise... That's what God is saying to them, and they understand it that way. We still today often call that place the promised land because God promised it to Abraham and his descendants. We may wonder why that particular place, God, there certainly are bigger, nicer, more spacious places with more energy, more resources, less conflicts around it. Seems like to me it would have been a better place, but God had a reason. And we don't all know why. But he chose it and gave it to them and wants them to live out their lives, not just uh, hidden away from others, but that they may be an example of God's work in their kingdom. Moses was an extraordinary leader. He was also something else. I read in Numbers 12.3 it says, Moses, now the man Moses, was very humble more than anyone else on the face of the earth. So a man that was sent by God to care for all those people still retained a life of humility, that God was the one who was leading him. He simply was following God's leading, and God had his hands on him. In our text, there are three different times in it. There is a time of celebration I imagine as they stood there on the side of the River Jordan, there was great excitement in the camp that they'd finally arrived at the land God had promised. It was an exciting time. Then there was the death of Moses, a time of mourning, 30 days, traditional time in which uh, they didn't move from that spot. They didn't go forward in God's plan. They simply remembered who he was, thankful for all he did, accepted a new leadership that would follow him. Then the new time. The new time came that they would go forward and occupy the land. And there's a wonderful story that follows as they begin that journey, beginning with the Ark and the Covenant being carried. The priest had it on their shoulders with the poles carrying it, and they stepped on the edge of the water Jordan, and it stopped. So all the people could cross. Don't you know that Moses would love to have seen that? 
that God had his hand on his life, his hand on the people. That is what God's plan is for them. And we're also waiting on God's plan for us. God would like to clean us up also. He wants to bless us also. He described that land as a land flowing with milk and honey. It says this as a place that you have cities that you did not build, crops you did not plant, and houses furnished. And all you must do, it says, is occupy it. I like to describe it this way. You walk into a house that's fully furnished, food in the refrigerator, a car in the garage, and the mortgage is all paid. Can you imagine that moment as they stepped into the promised land? And they know that God is the one who has caught them and filled them, and all they must do is not forget. Not forget who is the one who has taken you out of that bondage and brought you to this new land. In Deuteronomy 6.12, Take care you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. If you study Judaism, you understand the Shema, a phrase they often repeated, the core of their faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Keep these words that I have commanded you today in your heart. He said there, you do those things, and this new nation you're about to receive this new land you're about to enter will be truly the promised land. Now you and I, as we sit in a church pew, would say, but I I may have visited my life, but I'm I'm not living in an occupied space. Where is it for me? Where is God's kingdom at anyway? And Jesus, the best topic in all his preaching, the most he ever preached on was that of the kingdom of God. He did not describe it simply as once this life is over and we've been faithful, we'll go to that kingdom. Yes, that's part of the description. For some people, it seems to be the only part they're looking forward to. Instead, he describes it as it's already arriving. God's already at work in the world around us. He already knows us. He cares about us. He's watching over us. Just keep my commandments, Jesus said. That way, You'll be a part of the kingdom. You love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You want to understand that? If you've done it to these, the least of them, you've done it to me, Jesus says. It is for us a new kingdom where we can belong. It's about opening doors and seeing God at work. When we were on the last on the mission trip a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were presenting to the uh, different groups in front of us. <clears throat> the youth had a, had a wonderful program they did, and then I would share through the interpreter a short message, and we shared there about the uh, neighborhood we're a part of. Understand that our land is a part of God's plan. It's just as theirs is a part of it also. I spoke about a neighborhood that I was in when I grew up and list the names of people I knew around me. They were people who had children who were my age or near it. We played together up and down the street. They had some interesting names. One of them we called Skeeter all the time. I never did learn his real name. I only knew his name was Skeeter. But we were friends. And we felt like we're a part of each other's life. We belonged there. 
And God would have us to think about a kingdom where we feel like we belong. He's here with us also. And we're opening the doors that it's not a closed circuit. It's open that others can be a part of it. We want God to do for us what he did for Moses. Give us eyes of hope. Gosh, isn't that needed today? When you open up the newspaper, you look at the TV, and we see another tragedy, another terrorist act, unrest in different places. And we come and pray, oh Lord, give us hope. We want peace to come in our own lives, in our own nation, our own community, and in the world. Can you help us to do that? Can you help us to see where you're at work and us be a part of what you're doing? Can you do that? The writer isn't simply thinking about geography when we talk about the kingdom of God. He's talking about lives of people and our lives. There's a hymn that we sing sometimes, I'm bound for the promised land, or who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. It says, when I reach that happy place, I'll be forever blessed. For I shall see my Father's face and his blessed bosom rest. We know God has a plan in a kingdom. He wants to give us a grand view of it. What it's really supposed to be like. But how do you do that? First of all, just like they did, you have to make it home. Each time we, first of all, in the 40 years Vicki and I have been married, we've never lived in a home that we own. We've always lived in a parsonage. And we're thankful that you provided. But you know, when we arrive, and for a lot of that we had children with us, we arrive, it is a house. It's often in good shape. It's well uh, furnished, and we're thankful to be there. But to start with, that's what it really is. It's a house, a place. Sometimes you just have to live there a while, you know, settle in, find your room. Children had to pick whose room was whose, and you'd move the furniture a little bit around because they wanted it a little bit different than it was and get it set up for them. All their stuff has to be out where it needs to be, and that, that begins to make it feel a little more like home. Then you know that's it. They have to begin to meet some friends around them. We found that we didn't really feel at home until school usually started. And they began to meet a network of friends and classes and began to build those relationships. And that began to help. And I found usually we had to go through some of the big holidays, you know, like a, everyone's birthday and Thanksgiving and Christmas and back in the summer. You do all that and all of a sudden you look up one day and say, now I feel like I'm home. I believe that's what the kingdom is like. It's not just an instant geography handed to us. You got everything you need, but instead it's a place we go and live. We enter into it. We find joys and sorrows together. We meet new friends or about a grand work together. Life moves forward together. And we look up one day and say, you know, I feel at home now. That's what the kingdom is like. Let's us feel at home. He wants us to have the grand view, not just the few that the TV might tell us or the newspaper or one person's conversation, certainly not just the internet, but a grand view. 
A view that sees God in lives around you. Who sees opportunity in the person you meet today and tomorrow. Of friendships, of a chance to care for them. Showing compassion. We do that, we understand what the promised land is like. Not just a place, but a place that becomes home. This can be home when we hear it gathered because we know each other. But it's not full enough. We want it to be filled with people who also know God's love is for them. And therein is our work. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the grand view that Moses had of the promised land. And the grand view that Jesus had of the kingdom of God of which he spoke. And we're praying that we may see it also. Of what you have done, are doing, and will do. Both of what surround us and in us. And through your church. Give us courage to be about that work. Open us to your presence here and now. In Jesus we ask. Amen.